Well, hello and welcome back to yet another episode of the Asking for a Friend podcast. It's an elder-led ministry of Believers Baptist Church in Emory, Texas. My name is Duffy Henderson and I am your host. The Asking for a Friend podcast exists as a weekly resource for the edification and the benefit of God's people. Here we hope to provide helpful, thoughtful, and most importantly, biblical material as we address everyday life questions and issues. If you find this podcast helpful, please take a few moments to share it with someone that you think would also benefit from it. Thanks for listening in today, and may the Lord bless this episode in particular greatly to you as a means of grace for your spiritual growth and your benefit. And I'm joined once again today with Tyler Milliken. We're back with another episode in our uh, hermeneutics uh, class, hermeneutics one-on-one. We're just giving some helpful Bible study, Bible interpretation principles and tips uh, in this short series. Tyler, welcome back today on the podcast. Glad to be back. Yeah, I just want to quickly, we're going to jump right into this one. So if you uh, missed our first episode, you'll want to go and check that one out. But we're going to dive right in today with uh, continuing uh, the discussion. But Tyler, recap for us just a little bit about the five-fold hermeneutic that you discussed on our previous first episode. Certainly. Well, to build on what we talked about previously, we saw that Jesus himself uses this word for hermeneutics, which is simply the biblical word for interpretation. And of course, we can accurately or inaccurately interpret something. So we want to interpret things accurately. And we saw that beginning with Jesus' approach to Bible study, we might say, in Luke 24, we've seen these five layers of meaning that we always have to deal with anytime we read the Bible, which are known as the literary, grammatical, historical, theological, and redemptive meanings of scripture. And so we have some overlapping layers of meaning here. So just to remind everyone, of course, text is literary. God is speaking in precise terms. It's grammar. It's historical. But one thing that I'd like to sort of approach this a little bit differently today is to think about how do different people use these hermeneutics or what we might say, how do they use these different lenses to read God's word or to understand what scripture means? So if someone only had the first three lenses, that would make them a pretty good secular historian, mm-hmm. but it wouldn't make them much of a theologian. That's right. Because nothing spiritual is actually taking place when they read scripture. They could talk about literature, historical background but really that's it. Now, the fourth layer of meaning is very enticing, but it doesn't really get us to the core because as you know, if someone has the first four layers, we've talked about this before, that could make a pretty good Pharisee. But without the redemptive core, that fifth layer of meaning, we might say, they're really missing the gospel or they're missing the Christ-centered revelation that is there. And so we saw that Jesus' own approach in Luke 24 is eminently focused on his redemptive or his saving work, how he taught that in all the biblical literature, from the law, the prophets, to the Psalms, everything was written about him. And so we really have to see Jesus as the redemptive center for everything that we do, which means this is really going to be a spiritual enterprise. That's right. So as we approach God's word and we're trying to read spiritual things and discern them spiritually, there's a classic question that people have brought up in the discipline of hermeneutics. And that is the question of, is this really a process 
of understanding seeking faith or is this a process of faith seeking understanding? Mm. And this is really not a chicken or the egg type of question. Mm -hmm. There Mm -hmm. is a definite answer to this. In other words, are we just beginning with our own intellect or our five senses and saying how much evidence can we garner? Mm -hmm. And if we just stare at the text or the grammar closely enough, suddenly faith is just going to pop right out. Well, unfortunately, that's not how it works. And we've, yep. we've talked before about how God has to produce a spiritual transaction yes. in our hearts. And so it's eminently different if someone is trying to use their intellect to just search for faith versus when God works in someone's heart, he will actually deposit faith into their heart. Mm. Faith is a gift from God. And then with that, with faith, if we've been given the gift of faith, we can seek greater and greater understanding. So what this means is that our starting point or our foundation is actually a faith-based approach. Now we can talk a little bit more about this is not going to be blind faith. It's going to be an informed faith, but I think we ultimately have to begin with faith first. Yeah, and you're delving into the area of what we might call the presuppositions that the reader some of the presuppositions that the reader will come to, and this is a uh, your your faith base in the sense of the approach to scripture. Um, a lot of things are assumed there um, when you're coming to the text of scripture uh, that will then aid your understanding of it. And so it's a bit of a circle there, but we have uh, we are Christians first and foremost coming to the pages of scripture seeking to draw. Uh, sustenance and, and, and understanding and uh, support for our faith from the text of Scripture. So I don't want to go too far down the road there, but you're talking about um, some really important things uh, here. So keep keep on. Yes. Yeah, so really, there is a beautiful cycle there. If we have faith, we can grow in understanding. And with our growth and understanding, that should turn to deeper and better Bible study, which will in turn help us not just grow in understanding, but grow in faith. So once someone has faith in God, that means they're, they are part of this beautiful cycle of what we call growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ. I love that. But yep. I think we need to be careful that at the root, this really does begin with faith. Now, if faith is moving toward understanding, if God has opened the eyes of our hearts to understand who he is by faith, then how can we know the truth of scripture? How can we understand him accurately or in an orderly way? Well, ultimately, it comes down to the nature of God himself. It's who God is and how he acts toward his people. So we can know the truth because God is a God of truth. Christ himself said, I am the way and the truth and the life. In the very being of who he is, he is the embodiment of truth. Therefore, if we know him, we know the truth. God's word is coherent because he's not a God of confusion. He's a God of logic and he's a God of order. And so we can understand scripture more and more as we build one foundational piece of understanding and information upon the next. And so really what we're talking about right now are foundations. And these are very important to get us started when we have our Bible study or when we listen to sermons as well. Very, very good. Now, there are actually two categories that we can talk about anytime that we're listening to a sermon or we're studying our Bibles, and that is a difference between meaning and significance. And I think this is a place where we need to be very careful. We need to be far more careful 
especially in the church. This is an area where the church could do a much better job, especially when the church is interacting with the world. Mm. But this is also true when the church is just meeting and fellowshipping with one another, is that the meaning comes from God. The meaning is recorded in the text. It's preserved in the text. Mm. God has preserved the meaning of Scripture so that it is actually always there and always available for us. But significance is something that really comes outside from our personal experience. Mm. And this is where there is some value, of course, to talking about our subjective experience, our personal walk with God. But we need to be very careful to distinguish between the core meaning that's in the text versus the significance of what's going on in our life, the trials or triumphs that we may be experiencing. Those things may be significant to you or me as individuals. And so therefore, when we read certain passages of scripture, they may take on extra significance mm. to us. But that's, but you're, let me, let me see if you're, mm-hmm. let me make sure I'm tracking with you, but that does not ever uh, change the meaning that's there, right? It's, it's application uh, depending upon it. Am I tracking with you rightly? It's, it certainly can change the meaning of what's in the text. Correct. Otherwise, this is, I, li- I like to think of it this way. When we think, when we read through Psalms or Proverbs or any text of scripture, when we see our own trials in the text, what we're seeing is an application from the text. We're seeing something that's significant to us as individuals. But if that text of scripture was really about you or me, when other people read it, they would see your trials and my trials as well. Mm, They wouldn't see their own in the text. If it was really about us in the meaning of the text, they'd be reading about our trials in the text. Mm. But ultimately, what we have to return to is that this can be a bit challenging for people, but the Bible is not about you, it is for you. I love that. Say that again. The Bible is not about you, but it is for you. That's really, really good. That's a great uh, basic hermeneutical principle right there. And so, and so it reminds us, what did Jesus say the Bible was about? Ultimately, the Bible is about him. That's right. When believers read any text of scripture, they see the revelation of Christ from Genesis to Revelation. We're going to talk about how to legitimately see the revelation of Christ in every book of scripture, the basic principles for that. But ultimately, it's about the Son of God. It's the revelation of God's Savior, and his name is Christ. Now, there's many great significant things that we experience in our personal personal applications from the text, but as we can see, it's not about us, it's for us. That's really, really good. Now, there's sort of three different uh, movements in this process of God communicating to his people. Obviously, God is the author. Obviously, he's given us a text, and then we are the audience. And interestingly, I shared this with some of the students in the advanced class in a little bit more detail. Over the course of history, people have focused on different parts of this process. There was a time when people had a very author-oriented approach, saying, what did the author really mean? What was, what was the biography of the author? What was the author really going through when he wrote this? So we can understand more of the historical background behind a poem or a historical narrative or even in Scripture itself. Now, obviously, that can be helpful to know what Paul was going through in the background of a particular text, but it's not the full story. So that's what we would call an author-centered approach. The next movement is what we call a text-centered approach. And this is what believers tend to be good at. We Mm -hmm. tend to say the text, the text, and nothing but the text. That's right. (laughs) Give me the text or give me nothing, right? (laughs) 
I now, obviously, that. we do have yeah. so much in the richness of the text, but as we've just shared, if we study the life of the Apostle Paul, if we understand the historical background of what he was going through, say, as a Pharisee in the Greco-Roman world in the first century, converting from Judaism mm-hmm. to Christianity, those are some author-oriented details that would actually help us understand the text. It would help us to see why Paul said this and not that. Yes. Uh, or why he said it this particular way instead of this particular way. So yes. all of those are good things if they're held in balance, right? Is that where you're getting, you're getting at kind of holding these things in, in balance? Yes, very much so. We need to keep both these things in balance, certainly. Understanding things about the author is helpful. Understanding things about the text is vital. And then thirdly, it is important to understand how these things are significant for the audience. Mm. And so that's us. And so this is where I think that the postmodern world, our relativistic culture, has taken a good thing and twisted it into an ultimate thing. Mm -hmm. They make everything about the reader. They make everything about the audience to such an extent that many times they're not even concerned with what's in the text at all. When at the end of the day, the real benefits from the audience are going to come from the text, and the text itself came from an author. So we have to hold all of these things in balance, and so this is all part of the process of hermeneutics. That's good. Very good. I think that's helpful visual for the folks, whoever's watching this. But if you're just listening on the podcast, he's got three boxes on the screen, uh, author, text, and audience. And kind of seeing that visually, it's helpful to see that these are all important in their own right. And they need to be held in balance as we're looking at the text of Scripture. Very much so. And so one of the things that we are searching for anytime we read any text, uh, there was a time that people cared about this for every text that's been written, but we need to be especially careful about this with God's word. We do want to find what we call the authorial intent. What was the author intending when they wrote a particular text. Now, the evidence that we have for this is not just our opinions or our imagination. The evidence is enshrined in the text itself. God has given us evidence for what he's saying, and the text is very, very clear. So, for example, when God says, you must be born again to see the kingdom of God, that means it's a necessity. It's a requirement. When he says, thou shalt not murder, It means that murder is not optional, right? He's quite clear about these things. But the problem in our generation is that what most human beings end up doing is saying, well, because sometimes we misunderstand little details here and there in little areas and little details of our life, then maybe the text means something other than what it seems to mean. Well, obviously, even in normal secular culture, if someone just feels like, well, I feel like thou shalt not murder is kind of subjective, right? (laughs) It's not going to work out very well for them in our society. But most people have a lower standard when they approach God's word Mm. than they would in a human court of law. Oh, that's fascinating. And that's really the problem. Yeah. Is that at the end of the day, if a judge sends you a subpoena, if someone sticks their fingers in the ears and says, la, 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 I don't understand what this text means. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. They're still going to jail. Yeah. If they ignore the subpoena, it's written in clear human language. That's right. If they take the check to the bank and they say, my truth is this is a $10 million check, it's still not going to cash no matter how they feel about it. But when we approach the word of God, which is of eternal value for our souls, people have a lower standard than they would in a court of law or with Mm. their employer or in their human relationships. Wow. So we do need to be careful 
to understand what was the author really getting at, and the evidence is in the text itself. So this mm. is where we begin. Fantastic. So if we're going to build on a biblical definition of truth, obviously we need to search for the revelation that is contained in Scripture itself. It's enshrined in the text. And I think there's a very helpful text that we could look at in Psalm 19. That's the classic passage. Earlier we talked about the difference between general revelation. Mm -hmm. That's something that all humans receive just by virtue of being in God's world. And then special revelation. And that's something that God shares with his people when he reveals himself to them in scripture. So there's something fascinating. I'm just going to give a little walkthrough through the beginning of Psalm 19. And it's fascinating that this psalm is really split up into two different sections here at the beginning of the psalm. And this is a great example of what we would call the book of the world, where God reveals all kinds of things to humanity through nature, through his creation, through us being made in his image. But then in the second section, there's special things that people only know if they actually know God through his word or mm -hmm. if they know God through what we call covenant. If yep. they're actually part of his covenant people That's right. in the body of God's people that we now call the church. So beginning in Psalm 19, it starts off saying that the heavens declare the glory of God. This is already radical, beginning in verse 1. The heavens themselves are revealing the glory of God. When we see the beauty, the order, the magnificence of God's creation, these are all reflections of his own glory. And the psalmist continues, the sky above proclaims his handiwork. He's being specific that God's creation is revealing things about him. Day to day pours forth speech. He's saying the world around us is speaking to us. It's revealing God to us. Night unto night reveals knowledge. But wait a minute, psalmist. Does this mean that they're giving us verbal textual revelation? No, it's what we call the book of the world. Mm -hmm. Verse 3 tells us there is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. There's sort of a silent revelation from creation itself, and yet their voice is completely heard by everyone who is made in God's image. Their voice, so to speak, goes out through all the earth and their words, so to speak, to the end of the world. And then you get this beautiful illustration. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, like a strong man runs its course with joy. And its rising is from the ends of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there's nothing hidden from its heat. Now there's a lot that we could tease out there, but I just want to point out two things. The first is he's showing this bright and glorious revelation of the sun which faithfully repeats its circuit every day, shines its light on the world every day, gives its message of light and some revelation to the world day after day after day after day. And nothing is hidden from its light and its heat. Everything is touched by the silent revelation that is there in God's creation. And I think over time, interpreters and church fathers have be began to hint at here sort of the circuit of the revelation of the Son of God, sort of moving through the course of his journey and mm -hmm. his ministry, his eventual death and lying down in darkness, his rising again in light. There are some shadows of that in creation that interpreters from the church fathers to the Puritans to our day have always seen. Mm -hmm. But again, that's a subtle revelation. So we ultimately need something more concrete and something more specific. And that's where the psalm begins to transition. It gives us this sort of hint of the revelation of God. 
And funny enough, we know quite clearly that the sun doesn't revolve around the earth, but the earth revolves around the sun. Mm-hmm. And so we're seeing this revelation of the sun. We're pivoting around God's revelation. And if we're revolving around him, that begins to prepare us for the next section of the psalm. And this is where special language is used because now God is talking not just about general revelation. He's going to talk about special or even saving revelation. Yes. So this is where it now begins to speak of God's law, Mm -hmm. his precepts, his commandments. These are things that are written down in a special way in his covenant revelation in what we call the Bible. So verse 7 and forward tells us the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. This is now salvation language. It's able to restore your soul. It's perfect revelation. Not just like the silent revelation of the world. The testimony of the Lord is sure. It can make wise those who are simple, those who don't understand. It can actually impart wisdom to them. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. It can give you eternal joy. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. It can illuminate your soul if you have no light. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. So if you have a clean, enduring, saving revelation, then what we're resting on is God's special revelation. And so the psalmist continues, the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And therefore, they're more to be desired than gold or much fine gold or anything else that you could desire. Because verse 11, by these things, that is by the special revelation that God has written down, By these things, your servant is warned. There is a warning for us, but also a great reward. He says, in keeping of them, there is great reward. And then this brings us to the dilemma. I love how this is revealed in verse 12. It's good. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults and keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Don't Mm. let them have dominion over me. Mm. And I think ultimately this is what God's special revelation should do for us. Yes. We're not just wandering around in the world with some sense that there's some higher power out there. That's what people can sense from the book of the world. But in a deeper way, God reveals to us in a special revelation, a revelation that is both warning and saving. And where this leaves us is it causes us to lay our hand over our own mouth before God and just ask God, I can't understand even the depths of my own sin, but you're revealing to me who you are, your righteous, holy standard. We call it God's law. You're able to reveal it in a saving way. So can you cleanse me from my sin? Because now I see that without your saving word, I won't be cleaned. But God is able to take his word and clean us, not just from the errors that we do see, but from the secret sins in the deep chambers of our heart. And so this is special revelation. That reminds me of how Calvin opens his institutes with some very potent thoughts that we, we really can't. He's unpacking Psalm 19 essentially here, but we can't know ourselves until we've, when we know God, God, uh, we, we, it's, it's a, again, this circular thing is uh, we are his creation, but until we know him and his word, his law, we don't really know ourselves as, mm. as we ought to. We don't have a right perception of ourselves. And so this is the psalmist seeing the two books of creation laid bare before him. And he is then exposed. He sees who he is, who his God is. Uh, It's beautiful right there. And then he closes it out with, let the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart 
be acceptable in your sight. You see this posture of utter humility. Uh, Oh, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Uh, It doesn't get better than that. That is that beautiful cycle right there of being both warned and convicted, but then comforted and assured by God's word. Yes. Showing us our sin, but also showing us God can cleanse us from our sin. Very good. And so there is a a beautiful cycle here between conviction and assurance. And there's a cycle of revelation. There's a cycle of what we call growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ. So there's maybe one more thing that I'd like to share here to build on that idea. And it's a very important concept in the world of biblical studies or what we call hermeneutics. And that is what we call the hermeneutical spiral. And it is a beautiful cycle. So if our listeners could picture perhaps, and our viewers can see this on the screen now, of course, they might picture just sort of a funnel shape, uh, a regular spiral that's tightening up lower and lower as it goes deeper and deeper into the study of Scripture. And so there is a point at which, as we've said, we have to begin with faith seeking knowledge. We can't just find faith by our own human intellect. So we're starting with faith. We're waiting for God to reveal himself. But when God does, he reveals himself in his word. And that means if we pick up God's word and read it, we can begin to know him better. And so we actually grow in our knowledge the more that we read God's word. So I might, I might share a challenge with some of our listeners, and that would be if there's anyone that has not had a chance to read all of the Bible, the first duty that I think every believer should, should aim for, the first goal to grow in our knowledge, in our Bible study, in our spirituality, in everything, is to read the Bible. And I don't just mean, well, read the Bible. What a brilliant insight. No, I mean read the whole Bible. Yes. Not just this little fortune cookie snippet, yep. not this verse-a-day calendar Christianity that we've all sort of been lulled into in American Christianity. No, the people in the ancient world would listen to an entire book being read. Or if they had access to a scroll, they would read an entire book. They would sometimes read it out loud to one another. And so these are things that we need to do to read God's word as a whole. And as we do that, we're going to grow in our knowledge. Now what this does is there's this beautiful cycle where we begin with faith. We're taking God to his word and then we open the Bible and we read it. And this is why the first time that someone reads the Bible, it's so radical. They're getting explosive insights. Mm -hmm. They're learning the teachings of Christ from the first time in the Gospels. They're learning what it means for God to create humanity in his image, starting in Genesis. They're learning all this deep wisdom from Proverbs or from all these areas Mm -hmm. of Scripture. And when you read that the first time, people will gain a foundational level of knowledge that will take them to a deeper layer of discipleship at the end of the day. And what we're called to do is grow in knowledge and then build on that layer and then reread scripture. And once we have that foundational layer of reading through a book for the first time, when we go back to it and we reread it, we move deeper down to the next layer of what we call the hermeneutical spiral. That's right. Again, uh, if I could jump in, that's kind of what Paul, I think, alludes to. And uh, I forget which particular epistle. Uh, my, It doesn't really matter. But he says something along the lines of, uh, not laying again the foundations, not laying again the basic principles of the faith. We build upon those. Those have been laid, so you you gain those, you read those, and then you go deeper. There's a there's a you know to use l- current language. Go to the next level. There's mm. a deeper level. It's what you see on your spiral here 
um, not always harping on these basic principles. Those are good and great, but there's more there that the Lord has for us. Yes, yes. And actually, it's a, it's a great passage to think of. It may have been Paul. I, uh, I think that's coming from the book of Hebrews. Oh, you're right. There's well, an, there's an, it it may still, have been Paul. It could still be Paul. You know? <laughs> um, but there's a, be- there's a beautiful transition there from Hebrews 5 to 6 where yes, you're exactly right. You They're go. talking about that very thing where we're not just looking at the foundational understanding of just a, a basic doctrine of law or legalism or these things. But what does it mean to move from milk to meat? That's right. Exactly. That would be the next layer of understanding. Exactly. What would it be for someone, Paul actually could be a great example here, someone like a Pharisee who's trapped in legalism, who knows some theology to know the saving revelation of Christ, to move into a gospel-centered interpretation. That's moving from milk to meat. So we can't just have the data of scripture. We want to go to a deeper layer of understanding. Good. Part yes. of this is to grow in the, the content of what's revealed in scripture, but part of this is to grow in a biblical interpretation of scripture. So there's actually two things that are they're sort of happening here at the same time. And one is that for someone who's never been able to read the entire Bible before, when they read through the whole Bible, they're going to gain a massive foundation of the content of Scripture. But then when they go back and they read through those books of the Bible again or read the same book over and over again, they can begin to interpret that book within the boundaries and revelation of the book itself. That's good. And as we do that, now we're actually letting Scripture correct our interpretation of itself. And this is where we begin to home in tighter and tighter in that spiral because as we reread the second, third, fourth, fifth time, whatever it may be, the hundredth time, the thousandth time, we're always trying to get closer to how Scripture is expressing itself and trying to adapt our understanding to how Scripture is really revealing itself to us. And so ultimately, I suppose we could ask, are we ever going to get to the bottom of the hermeneutical spiral? I mean, we we would love to, but as we've said, God is infinite. So this will be the beautiful cycle that we'll pursue as we try to know Him more and more. Well, and that goes back to, we, we just, our task is to mine the depths of Scripture. Uh, whether there's a bottom, you know, that's, that's in the mind of God Himself, right? And so that shouldn't be our goal necessarily. We, we need to just be, uh, our goal is to grow in our knowledge and grace uh, in Christ. Um, and so where you are today, studying Scripture, reading that book again for the, the fifth time or whatever the case, uh, show yourself approved. That's mm. what Paul wrote to Timothy, right? As you're continually making progress in this hermeneutical spiral as mm-hmm. you approach Scripture. And keep looking for the bottom because you're not going to be able to find it. <laughs> keep looking for the bottom. That's right. Well, do you have any closing, just quick thoughts before we wrap up this this episode here? And we'll take uh, take this further in the next episode. I would just share one insight from one of the students that was in our advanced class, and that is that this really helped him to understand what had taken place in his own life. Mm. And this is why uh, he really explained a radical shift between when he had been reading the Bible before he was saved and when he was reading the Bible once God actually opened his eyes and after he'd been born again. That's where you're, you're really entering the true spiritual hermeneutical spiral for the first time. And that's why those initial experiences of reading the Bible, either for the first time in your life or for the first time by faith, are so radical. And then from there, you just continue to build on that foundation for eternity. That reminds me real briefly of uh, reading Charles Spurgeon's uh, conversion story and his from his upbringing. He was 
uh, immersed and fascinated by reading the Puritans and reading these older uh, divines that his grandfather had in his library. He wasn't saved. He wasn't regenerate. But he had this immense uh, amount of knowledge. And when the Lord saved him, uh, I can't remember what at what age. It was fairly young. But he had already this oh, he, mm. massive knowledge of scripture, theology, doctrine. And when he had, when he started putting those pieces together with regenerate eyes, as it were, um, he was already off to the races far, yes. <laughs> far beyond. But he wasn't a new Christian and ignorant of the scriptures. He already had this knowledge. And so when we have this, uh, when the spirit gives us new sight, right, we have new life. Uh, that's a game changer. So, well, that's that's uh, it for today's episode. Thank you once again for listening uh, in on this episode. Uh, the hermeneutics, basics, these basic principles. We hope that this has been a blessing to you today. Don't forget to like and share the podcast with those that you think might also benefit from it. And don't forget that you can also send us in a question from our website on our media tab. But as usual, until next time, grace and peace be with you all.